Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 323 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin in San Jose, California. Hello. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. First, first official taping since the New Year, I believe, right? We, we taped on the 31st or something like last last time. You guys are going to believe that is Did correct. we tape on New Year's Eve? Year? No, we didn't. Did we? Like no, 30th or 30th. 31st, really, 30, really 30th, close. But, but still yeah, in 2020. Least, to, to, oh, not to the 31st. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 They are two before mm-hmm. yeah because i think we did spotcast on the f- not the first was it the first i can't remember anyway like like you said last time it was pretty rare for us to be recording around this time of the year right so usually off doing stuff all right so speaking of the last episode uh i have some fact checks from there uh we were talking about the amount of data you could have on an ipad or, or any ios device and i had said two terabytes on an ipad pro i was incorrect you can only you can only get a one terabyte is the max on an ipad pro these days and 512 gigabytes is the max you can get on an iPhone 12 Pro or Pro Max. That's cool. And then um, I was also talking about security, changes in security, and just sort of we're, just sort of sense of where we were. Um, you know, as I noticed when I, as I as I went to I went to five five um, WWDCs in a row, and every year the security got tighter and tighter. And I forgot to mention that when I was at um, at the at uh, what is it the, in the new place uh, McHenry, McHenry, right? yeah, yeah, in San Jose, that you had to you had a, a your badge you had had a, a, I guess, an RFID chip in it, and you had to swipe in when you went through the turnstiles. There was like one way to get into the conference, and uh, you could get out through many doors, but there was only one place you could go in the check in to that conference. And so, like, security is getting tighter and tighter. Um, as, it was like that in go. 2018, too. I, I could have sworn it was like that before at, when it was at Moscone, wasn't it? You had to, no, swipe I think, in they, in like way. I said, they were checking bags, right? They were checking yeah. bags, and, and they had they had security people there and, and dogs and stuff, because I, I remember taking a picture, joking. 
thinking that you know a dog could get a badge and we couldn't right yeah kind of thing but um but you all, yeah. maybe you just have to show your badge you had to have a badge to get in yeah you had to, it had to be visible when you walked through the door exactly yeah. okay you, had, okay. you, you walked in that one south yeah. facing door right yeah 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 towards the corner there the intersection there um yeah but and then but you could go you could exit out any door you wanted but exactly but you, you can only go in the one door and and that changed because i think when i first went to wwc yeah no you probably still had to still have to sh- you didn't have to show your like let them look in your bag or anything like that but you could you still had to have your badge visible obviously right so what was the first year you went uh 2010 2010 okay yeah so i went 2010 to 2014 so i was there for the introduction of uh swift and i was also there for the introduction of swift ui i was there for the introduction of swift but not yeah. swift ui i actually went to uh i was in um california i was at, at i was at Macworld when they announced the uh the iphone but i i wasn't in the keynote i yeah. didn't know about keynotes so, back then, so so probably back in 2006 or before and anytime before actually probably you could probably just walk in off the street they probably didn't care if you had a badge really yeah well yeah. you know they weren't let's just say they weren't i didn't i never went but but there probably weren't a lot of people banging down the doors to get in back then before yeah. pre-iphone yeah, yeah. I, I do remember somebody may have borrowed my badge in one of those first early early co- uh, conferences but for a day or something like that yeah. but, uh, i've told you the story about when i was i was living down in santa barbara and apple was having some kind of a uh some kind of a tech you know presentation or something about this was this is way back when this is about the new power max so it's probably the 90s uh and so uh, you know a few of my friends jumped in a car drove up which is you know it's it's a good uh it's a good four or five hour drive up the coast we just kind of drove up pulled into the parking lot in infinite loop cupertino and just kind of walked in walked in, in apple campus really? walked into a yeah i mean we had to sign in at the at the front desk but you know we yeah. just kind of walked in walked into the auditorium there were maybe you know maybe 50 or 100 people in a big auditorium and just watched them give this tech presentation is that around the back like is it there's a, there's that presentation center there oh this is i think this back. is before that existed this was oh this was really? like okay. i said this was the 90s this was before steve jobs came back i think oh okay okay yeah so yeah. i mean but, this, these were the days when people were wondering you know when is sun going to get around to buying apple already yeah that would have been 96 97 yeah, yeah that's exactly when it was yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah. So, there, like I said, there weren't people banging down the doors to get in. <laughs> well, and I think I told you, Graham Lee told me once that uh, they they actually flew him from England to come to Macworld once. Mm. Like they were that desperate to get people to come. This is way before the iPhone or anything like that kind of stuff was around. So mm-hmm. early, early days. All right. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And this is, I have a link here, just a quick link. I don't know if I linked it in the last episode or into the show notes or not, but uh, a friend of mine, uh, Zvon, uh, he's a Mac. OS trainer and uh, and basically a, a consultant, Mac consultant. Um, he posts some stuff. So he had posted an article here about the um, iOS 14 app library, you know, how to manage your home screens and that kind of stuff. And uh, so I've got a link here for that. Um, pretty much the same stuff we were talking about before. One thing that you can do that I didn't know is you can um, you can set your downloads to uh, go directly to the app library instead of going to the home screen, which is kind huh. of interesting. That's a preference you can set. And then he shows how to you know when you when you go to when you go into jiggle mode you can move stuff around and he's the guy that pointed out that the page control at the bottom when you're in jiggle mode if you tap on that it'll show you each of the pages that you have apps on and you can put a checkbox to hide them or show them or whatever right so and the, apparently the app library doesn't exist on iPad yet so iPad OS so kind of interesting anyway so I don't know if you guys are have you've started using it or uh, looked at but it I'm or... checking my iPad now to see whether it's actually I mean not that I don't no, believe you, I just there. want to confirm I never even tried yeah 
yeah, it doesn't exist. Huh. That shows you how often I look for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I stumble across it every now and then, and you know, I, I wish it was. I wish it was like like a, a button or something you could jump to it or whatever, like an icon or something. Yeah. Maybe that's a, a what would you call those things? Those um, shortcut uh, thingies that you can make right on your home screen. Maybe somebody should make one for that, right? Because mm. I probably would use it. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of ha- a similar way that I organize apps anyway, right? So on my phone. Yeah, and, and this is another follow up. This came out of the CES that we were talking about, uh, Computer Electronics Show. Um, we've talked about CarPlay before and re- retrofitting CarPlay. And I think Pioneer was one of the companies we talked about, um, but they've come up with a new sort of modular receiver that brings wireless CarPlay to, because, uh, you know, CarPlay, if you rent a car, you have there's light, usually a lightning cable in the between the cup holders or whatever, where you plug your phone in. But this is now will use a wireless connection. So if you have an older car, like I have a 2004 CRV, uh, and technically I could put um, CarPlay into my into my uh, my car wirelessly, so which would be nice. At least you don't have to. Because, at least you don't have to plug one of those fake cassette tapes into the cassette recorder to plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I never thought about that. I probably could do that. Yeah. How many people actually, listening actually know what one of those is? <laughs> I mean, you kind yeah. of chuckled like you do. Do you know? You know what those yeah, are? Yeah, I, I, I remember this as being a weird solution for like CD player options or something. Where it's like, all right, well, it'll it'll run it through the, the exactly, fake yeah. tape yeah. that was connected into the deck. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, man. Talk about dongle town <laughs> i gotta find a way to use this new technology with my old technology <laughs> yeah well like our car our, our cd or um a 2004 crv the 97 one had a tape deck in it right mm-hmm. which was you know we so we had some tapes on it but and we had to use that goofy thing to to run a cd player but you know that that only has so much you can only tolerate that for so long yeah the new one terrible. has this, you put these discs in they're called compact discs and you put the music right in the little slot on the front of the thing uh-huh. yeah yeah so it's you know it's got all the sort of um, stuff. So, so the next generation now will have a way to put your vinyl records in because they're coming back. Vinyl's coming back. Did you know that they're actually they actually did have cars in the fifties that had forty five record players in them? Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I mean, of course, you, you, oh. it was for when you for when you were a parking mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Not for when you're uh, when you're driving. Yeah. When you're driving. Well, I, I suppose they must have had springs in them, but yeah, that would have been a, a, a disaster, right? Just driving down the road and bumping the thing, and yeah. Do you know what parking is, Jaime? You're using the term in a way that sounds like I should know more. Like, yes, there is the literal, you know, it you doesn't know, drive mean just and park somewhere. It in P, although that's in- yeah, it doesn't. Or yeah, but I, I assumed it was like a um, either some offshoot of, of drive-in or uh, like you know, you kind of hang out there before the movie even starts, right? Get in a good spot, or it was like, oh, let's go to like uh, you know some location like the beach or a park and and do what's kind of like a tailgate, but around your your enormous mm. boat of a vehicle. Uh, You're close. So close. There was a car involved. But a little but bit you, too you, innocent, you, I mean. Do you remember? I mean, is, just, is this like going to like a uh, 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 lover's lane or something yeah, on the mountain? Uh, you exactly. Got it, you got yeah, it. yeah, okay, yeah. Gotcha. That's parking. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You gotcha. park the car and then you know. For for the kiddos, this is like Netflix and chill. But there was no Netflix. There was no internet. Yeah, <laughs> there was right, only yeah. the, the the open fifty five mile per hour highways and uh, and no cell phones. Yeah, driving wasn't involved. That's for sure. Do you do you remember the? Uh, do you ever watch the show Happy Days? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they used to go to the they used to pick a girl 
girl and go watch the submarine races? No, I don't think I, I don't remember that from Happy Days. <laughs> I, I was an avid Happy Days fan back in the day, but back in the Happy Days. But yeah. uh, I don't remember that particular thing. Yeah, Richie and Potsy and those guys used to always talk, talk about going and you know, taking a girl and going to watch the submarine races. Mm. They, that was their way, their way of getting parking on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it goes back to those days. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, so, oh, oh, yes, I don't remember this one. Um, somebody we follow a lot here on the show, uh, Guillaume Rambo, has put together an article here on distributing Mac apps outside of the App Store. Before the App Store, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but before the App Store came along, you had to actually publish apps and sell them yourselves, and there was all kinds of different ways to do that. But anyway, this is, you can still sell, um, you can still create apps for the App Store, or, for, sorry, you can still make apps for the Mac, but they don't necessarily have to go through the App Store because there's the whole debate, you know, about whether you want to, like, have your app notarized and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, so he goes through, this article here goes through the pros and cons of um, selling direct or going through the App Store. Obviously, the, the I mean, I like the App Store for iOS because I don't have to worry about the whole business side of dealing with the money and refunds and all that kind of stuff, right, which can be a pain in the butt. But, um, and, you know, obviously, Apple takes that 30 or 15%, but then again, that's the convenience of having something like an App Store. So this talks about, you know, getting your app out there, um, doing that, uh, getting those things distributed. One thing I think he does, if I'm not mistaken, I think he says in the section on Catalyst and Swift UI that those should go through the App Store, I believe. Let me see. Yeah, there's no test flight if you don't do... Uh, a hockey app must still be around, right? For testing? I think it is, but does Hockey App work for the Mac? Oh, I don't know. I, yeah, I think it did, didn't it? Hmm. I thought know. Hockey App got there. absorbed but, by Microsoft and became yeah, it's their Microsoft, um, yeah. App yeah. Center, Build Center, or something some larger enterprise thing but but do you really even need well i mean i guess if you want to do some kind of uh beta testing with some with a built-in feedback system or something like that you could use something like hockey app but but for the mac i mean you can just send someone a zip file with your with your app and let them let them use it right there's no there's no issues there's no issues with sideloading because you just install it you don't you don't need a a service to do that kind of thing by the way i don't know if i put the link in the show let me just have a quick look did i put the thing about sideloading in mac to look on on the notes i don't see it yeah uh, just since Mark mentioned the word sideloading, you can um, you can uh, Apple's lifted the restriction on being able to sideload onto onto Apple Silicon. Yeah, so there's the that bit about there, and then he talks about hosting on this thing. Like where, like obviously, if you if you're not going to use the App Store, you have to have some server or something where you can host the app, that kind of stuff. And then uh, yeah, and then notarization and packaging is a, is something that you have to do if you go yep. through the Mac App Store. No, no, if you course, if you don't go through the Mac App Store, you have to notarize. If you do go through oh, the really? App Store, you just oh. So through the App Store, you just submit it for review, just like an iOS app. But if you don't go through the App Store and you just send someone a zip file, like I said, or a DMG file, then if you haven't notarized, then you'll get this very scary message that pops up whenever you install saying this comes from an unknown developer, developer, untrusted developer, uh, be careful installing and and people probably will think twice about installing. But if you do get it notarized, it gives a a better one saying that it still pops something up, but it says, you know, says this has this has been scanned by Apple and, and shown to not include any kind of malware or viruses. And he talks about his, like back in the day, there was like, um, if you bought software from 
like when I bought like copies of BB Edit and that kind of stuff, um, there, there was Kaji, K-A-G-I, uh, was the store that would handle the distribution for developers. Now Gumroad will do that. Gumroad is a, is a uh, platform for self-publishing as well. Um, he also mentions uh, Paddle and uh, FastSpring and, and Stripe, I believe, or something for handling the payment. And then, um, yeah, and then you've also got your, in marketing, obviously, is something you need to do on uh, on any app, I think, whether it's on the App Store or not. But uh, yeah, interesting thing. So if you're interested in doing Mac publishing um, and you want to look weigh your options, uh, this is a good place to start looking at this article on the show notes for distributing apps on the App Store, or not on the App Store. Mac apps, that is, right? I've gone to the notarization process. It's it's not bad. The first time you do it, it's a little bit weird. Uh, but uh, once you've done it once or twice, it's actually not bad at all. Pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, Jaime, what do you got for us? I think we might have mentioned the proposal for async await coming out in, in Swift. It looks like the proposal has been modified, uh, but accepted uh, with that modification. So wanted to bring that to the forefront of something that'll be exciting for uh, you know the, the future of Swift. Mm-hmm. And paired up with that is a blog post on Oh My Swift, where they show uh, experimenting with Swift async and await pattern. Uh, it's, it's a pretty small one, but I'll do my best to try to describe. Again, we'll have the link in the show notes for those of you driving at home. Uh, the problem that this is trying to, to address when it comes to um, concurrency and, and avoiding certain you know patterns of doom that we, we talk about often. So he, or they, I actually don't know if he, whoever the writer is, Rizwan, they uh, talk about using completion handlers to handle asynchronous tasks, right? Pretty common things. So they have yeah. one function that is a, uh, you know, get player names. Uh, presumably it gets some players and then it calls some completion block, right? Pretty standard stuff you might see with dispatch queues and async and returning stuff, calling a completion if it exists. And then when you sort of normally have to deal with this, you end up with a, you know, either a whole lot of nested weird stuff of, oh, here's a callback within a callback within a callback. Um, you can even sort of see this in the in the layout of the code where the get player names has a um, uh, a callback or a closure, I should say, a closure that gets called, you know, for the dispatch queue global async and it tries to call a completion. So you end up with all of this, like everything slowly starts becoming this triangle of code. And it gets even worse when you have like the, the next function, which is performing this completion handler as all right, call, you know, self get player names, pass it in a closure. And it's just not difficult per se, but it's it's sort of non-obvious as you're looking through code of like, oh, what's happening here? Like you have to really sit and think about when would this get called? What is the actual code execution path? Um, one of the nice things with async and uh, await is you could set up the code to be sort of the way it would appear to run in your head and not um, not the way that you're setting it up so the compiler is happy, if that makes sense, so that the language is happy. So this is a, a nice bit of like some syntactic sugar. Say, all right, so in the async await version, he's got a, all right, so I have a refresh players that I'm going to say is, uh, I don't know how to read this. I don't know if you call it of type async or returns an async. I don't know the proper nomenclature, having not read the uh, the Swift proposal myself, but let's say you know, it's it's an async function, right? And within it, it can say, oh, I'm going to await the results of self 
Names. So we can go to the get names function, which is also asynchronous. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to return this map, right? And then way down as you start piecing this all together for this, you know, perform async await operation that he's created here, it can just await on the refresh player. So it's it's kind of like a nesting doll sort of thing of like, oh, this kind of looks like normal functions, right? You read it line by line by line of I'm calling this. Oh, let me go look at that. Okay, well, this is calling that. Okay, go look at that. As opposed to the the closure and callback one, which is like, okay, this calls this, but actually uh, this closure is going to be called, which got to go, you know, read the code and jump all the way the heck over here. Uh, it, it enforces like a logical linearity out of the way the code looks is the way the code executes, if that makes sense. So right. does await block or is await also asynchronous? I guess await blocks I th- that method because <laughs> so the, pr- I, the print yeah. doesn't happen in this example. The print doesn't happen until the await is finished, right? Yeah. So I I might be, again, I've, I need to actually like go read the uh, actual proposal and see what has been modified. I'm mentally mapping this to stuff I've seen out of um, C Sharp in the .NET world and what I've seen for await in the async await in, gosh, I don't even know if it's built into JavaScript or if it's like a node JS specific thing, but I have seen patterns like this of it, it yeah. blocks there of like, I'm going to stop executing this function top to bottom until I get the result of this asynchronous task. Which is kind of nice, right? Instead of using, yeah. you know, like the closure thing or, oh, let's use uh, dispatch semaphores or dispatch groups or other things. Like, I believe this is probably using those under the covers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've not, again, I have not read through the proposal. I'd highly recommend it. We haven't shown it to those of you driving home. But it, it feels like this nice syntactic sugar that, like, I think you could have built this yourself, right? Like, this isn't uh, uh, the, the key secret sauce for Swift, as far as I can tell. Um, I, it does seem to act pretty similar to like promises, although I don't think you can pass these around the way that you can with promises. You know, it, it just seems like one of those things that will make reading and writing asynchronous code nicer, especially as as I look back at the um, modification to the proposal around like, oh, um, you can do, you know, try await, which to me kind of sounds like, oh, so you might have an await asynchronous function that like might crash in some way. So you're going to have to, uh, to try catch around that or, or make it, um, you know, uh, handle the error more explicitly is what it seems like. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this might just be a a um, not the best example in this in this post, but to me, it looks like this perform async await operation blocks on the await. In which case, you don't really it's not really async asynchronous, right? Refresh play, refresh player seems to be async, but but if you call perform async, it sits there and waits. So I'm so I'm a little confused, but maybe this is just a bad example. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know the 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 meaning of like. I think what this example is missing is the, um, you know, the caller of this async handler, this at async yeah, handler yeah, internal yeah. funk. Like, I'd like to see, like, well, what, what does that mean? Again, because like this yep. is new to me. I didn't know what the semantics are or what that means, but I'm thinking, oh, maybe I could throw these in a queue or maybe I can do some other thing. Maybe maybe this is the the piece I was missing of. Maybe this makes it more like a promise that you yeah. can, you know, potentially pass around. Right. Or maybe, or maybe you call this on a background thread or something and then it's okay it's okay that it blocks or something like that. Yeah. And, and this one is showing um, like a rather smaller example. So it's hard to see like, well, 
you know, well, why would I care? Like the, the previous mode that I know and love doesn't seem to be that bad. And I would ask people to think about code bases that you may have worked on where it's like, oh, here is this sort of main, uh, let's say like an API call of some sort that like, we're going to call the API for this. Oh, but then we also need the results of this other API call. And then we also need the results of this other API call. So you're stitching like three or four things together and you could build like an operation queue with a whole bunch of nice operations and do that. But nobody has time for that. Everybody just says, forget it. Just, you know, <laughs> have a closure <laughs> as a result yeah. and then have that one make the next call, which also has a closure with a result, which then makes the next call. And yeah. you end up with this, this horrible chain of, of closure callbacks. Yeah. Maybe this, this would let you do more like, Oh, I want to do this thing. Call this, call this, call this. And then I'll take all the results of that and stitch it together. It, it cleans up the, um, the, the way you would read that. Cause it would just be, here's my function that awaits the first call, awaits the second call, awaits the third call, and yeah. then returns some sort of combined synthesized result. Yeah. Maybe await is kind of a magic thing that does return automatic, does return immediately. Uh, but then it takes everything after it as if that were in the completion closure. You just don't have to write out the completion, the closure syntax. That would make sense, I guess. Right. In this example. So the print, uh, the print doesn't obviously doesn't get executed until ref- refresh players is done. But maybe in the await statement, await means go launch this function that's at the end of this line and then re- immediately return from the method I'm in now or the function I'm in now, but keep everything after me inside this method that you just called, this function that you just called, keep all of that and treat that like it's the, the like like it's the completion block for this thing that I just told you to, to run. It would be, it's kind of a weird syntax, but but that seems like it, how, it, how it's supposed to behave, right? Because if it really should be asynchronous, it should return right away as opposed to blocking. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I, I don't know how to answer yeah, concretely yeah, okay, yeah. whether that's yeah, correct yeah, yeah, yeah. or not. So yeah. I definitely look forward for when this uh, is yeah, like yeah. actually in the language and we see the, the articles, uh, the, yep. the docs are like, oh, okay, that's this is what this means. Not, I mean, it's great that we have the um, the proposal process mm-hmm. for Swift Evolution, mm-hmm. but it's like reading an RFC, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. reading a request for comments where it's like really in-depth and, and sort of what I need is the, um, so how do I practically use this sort of thing? And, yeah. and, and what does it actually mean? Because as I mentioned, like I'm, I'm trying to mentally map it to very similarly named keywords in other languages that probably help get me part of the way there. But I also caveat that I might be leading myself down the wrong path. Like, oh, actually, even though, even though it has the same name, it actually has subtly different semantics that you have to be careful of. Right. So I wonder if, if the, it, it, it's, it's a prefix with this at async handler thing in this example, right? I wonder mm-hmm. if that's meant to be one of these function builders where it doesn't necessarily execute all of the, all of the, uh, the commands in the list inside sequentially, you know, kind of like in Swift UI. It treats them, it builds something out of them and just has some simple syntax. So you don't need to have, um, extra brackets and things like that. Anyway, I don't know. We're all just guessing. I'm just guessing and <laughs> we'll find out when it happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm just bringing it forward as like, something to start thinking about and get excited yep. about for Kinda the cool. new yeah. versions of Swift. Yeah. Alrighty. What's next? The next one is, I think many people saw this uh, Twitter thread, which um, it's a little hard to sort of read Twitter threads. So I, I found the unrollthread.com uh, version nice. of it. Yeah. It's from a former Uber engineer, uh, McLaren Stanley, and he exposes a lot of uh, this very near engineering disaster that occurred 
on the uh, the iOS team over at uh, at Uber. Uh, so I'll try to recap sort of briefly some of the the bigger things because it's a very long Twitter thread that when you read the unroll, it's it's kind of like a blog post at that point. I want to say before I start this, this this isn't to one. I'm not dinging Swift because I like Swift as I very clearly talked about something I'm excited about for the future of the language, right? So that should just be upfront. Totally into Swift, but we'll talk about whether this was a good idea at the time this decision was made. And two, I want to talk about the uh, the comedy of errors that occurs at this large company that, um, you know, people might say, oh, like, I may not be good enough to engineers. Like, I think you could be, because I don't think a lot of people who listen to the show, I don't think you would have made these mistakes, <laughs> or at least certainly not the combination of them. So, so to recap, this is in the year 2016. And for reminders, Swift was released in 2015. So they're talking somewhere around version two of Swift. The team had decided that they wanted to rewrite the Uber app because uh, it had done its job, but as they expanded to to more teams uh, that are building within the same app and more markets, you might imagine that uh, uh, catching an Uber in you know Seattle is not going to be the same as catching an Uber in like Zimbabwe, right? It's kind of kind of different. Along the same lines of like, oh, we need a new app architecture that can scale to to Uber scale. They had decided like, hey, you know what? The the Android folks are doing some interesting stuff with RX Java, the reactive Java. And there's an RX Swift thing that looks like it could be exciting. We could share some patterns there. And as long as people were talking about, wow, as long as you're going to rebuild the app architecture, this is really good opportunity to do a UI redesign too, right? Because actually the UI is not really scaling out that well either in terms of where the heck do you put this brand new feature if you've got a bazillion features. So this team is formed to create a small prototype. They prove out some of the stuff of like, oh, we can use Swift. And and in fact, we can go heavily into some of the unique features of Swift and build our app based on this. Unfortunately, um, this is a small prototype. And spoilers for a real team size and real app size, they did not realize that the app build times were going to go right through the roof. (laughs) And anybody who was here along for the ride when it comes to uh, how Swift and the compiler and the tool stuff, it has come a very long way. If you just joined the club, you missed out on a lot of drama. (laughs) Go back to the, the back catalog of this very show if you want to hear our our real-time reaction. So they end up having dynamic linker issues. And they're like, oh my God, like this thing literally will not link properly. Um, We're we're running into issues with like uh, dynamic frameworks, not even loading in time. The app looks like it is just hung and sometimes even gets terminated before the app even finishes starting up. Some very enterprising engineer realized they could take the output of the linker and then relink essentially static linking or or uh, you know, doing like a a fecal transplant back into the patient, as I would call it, and that got them to the next part of like, okay, this the wheels are shaking, but they haven't fallen off yet. Around this time, they realize, oh, the app size has ballooned heavily because again, during most of Swift's life, you had to include Swift uh, Swift's runtime within your app. It, there was no stable ABI. There was no mm-hmm. oh, this is just included as the operating system, right? Thankfully, they were saved by um, Apple expanding the download cap size that you could get over the air, right? Because as it turns out, again, spoilers, apparently nobody at Uber had realized that a very large number of new users to Uber are people who are sitting somewhere 
wanting to get immediately somewhere else, let's say like traveling as an example, and they just decide to download the app from the app store, sign up and get an Uber immediately then. So they hadn't even realized their business context of, is it a big deal or not? And there was some, even some argument internally that said, well, you know, Facebook went, you know, well past the, you know, download over the air limit um, a long time ago. And it didn't hurt them. It's like, yeah, because nobody's sitting in an airport or, you know, uh, stumbling out of a, out of a bar drunk and needing to get home and, and going onto Facebook like for the very first time, right? So it, it was a business context and product context that is there. Alongside this, they also had a UI change. If you remember, they decided it was a good time to rebuild or redesign the UI that removed your pickup location. So you didn't set a, where am I going to get picked up? It just sort of magically figured out where to pick you up and you focused on, here's where I'm going to go. Unfortunately, they realized, hmm, GPS isn't really that good sometimes. It gives you a really bad answer for where you are, especially if you're around tall buildings. For example, the downtown of a major metropolis. metropolis. So they decided, well, the answer is to turn on location services all the time, and then they would just smooth out the predicted location and get a better idea of where you're at. (laughs) You might remember folks absolutely hated this, like, what the heck, why is Uber constantly reading my location history in the background? Like, that is not cool. Um, Around this time they considered rewriting re-rewriting the app back into Objective-C of like if this if this gets any worse we're, we're gonna have to do this uh they they did go as far as rewriting the watch os app back into Objective-C to save some space uh and somebody figured out that they could change the way that the swift compiler passes worked in order to shave uh some build time and some megabytes off of their app size and and thankfully the rest of everything else sort of caught up right like they, they, in my opinion, to start recapping, they jumped way too early into Swift, uh, given what they were trying to do, but uh, not so, uh, not so early that it would have, as this guy writes, like it could have gone slightly worse, and the app would have just absolutely cratered. There would have been people probably getting fired. This would have been the end of careers. Instead, it was somewhat of a mild success and not an absolute dumpster fire. Right. That's the end of my recap. I highly recommend people read this if they didn't yeah, see it read. going around yeah. during the during the holidays. It I, is I clearly remember those hilarious. days when they when they changed the location services behavior because but that was when I was commuting down to L.A. Uh, oh, for right. a, yeah, for, for a, a job down there, and so I was taking Uber a lot, and it would constantly. I'd be standing in front of the building, and it would show my position in front of the building, but the Uber would constantly show up at the back of the building, and I'd have no idea. Right, <laughs> and then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, sometimes the driver would call, sometimes not. Sometimes, you know, they they would say, Oh, you you canceled. You didn't show up and tr- try to charge me for that. It was nice. it was a big mess. It was a big mess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, location services is tough, especially yep. with the GPS thing. Like I I've I noticed when I when I've used Uber in this in the States, you know, had to correct the pickup location yep. a lot. But that's in the later versions that I've been using it, right? So Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, I still don't have Uber on my phone. I I'm part of the delete Uber Uber clan. <laughs> Funny enough, I haven't used Uber in at least a year for some reason. <laughs> really? Can't, can't imagine what that would be? Yeah. I can't remember. I, I don't know if I've used, I think I, I mentioned I used Uber during the pandemic, but I can't remember. Hmm. I can't remember when. I know I, I know I drove, I rode a cab once with, like I was telling you guys, with the vinyl plastic up in the cab, right? So hmm. I think I had to get somewhere real fast. Anyway. All righty. Um, yeah. So the, this next piece I've got here is, it's kind of a long one. And, and uh, you might have 
heard these rumors in the last couple of uh, days. Uh, this is like from four days ago. Um, between oh, Ming-Chi Kuo and um, Mark Gurman, a bunch of rumors came out. And, and I don't know if it's related to CES, but around that same time. So just in a, in a sort of uh, quick uh, sort of recap, in the title it says what what's going on is new Mac Pro models are supposedly coming, um, featuring flat edge-to-edge sort of design. MagSafe apparently is coming back as a charging mechanism. Uh, the touch bar is apparently going away and more ports. That's one of the one of the big stories here. Um, do you want to talk about these one at a time or do you want to just I'll rattle them all off and we can just randomly pick through them? Are you guys there? I'll um, say the one that I think is unlikely and that's more ports. It's like, oh, that's, <laughs> well, that's not yeah, very I'll, Apple. <laughs> I would gladly give up the touch bar to get more ports in a second. Would you? Yeah. In a second. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, so you guys are both clamshell mode users, right? Like, cause, cause I always, you know, I work right off my laptops and I, and I do use the touch bar, especially for, I, I, I gotta say, I do miss the function keys for turning the sound up and down. I mean, I do have, right now I have a hardware keyboard in front of me, like an old style, you know, cabled USB keyboard, which has all the buttons, which I, I don't tend to use that much. Um, and I have a, my new MacBook Pro has a hardware escape key, which is nice, right? But, um, I do use a trackbar for, for, you know, adjusting some settings, sometimes muting, you can mute the microphone and on a WebEx or a, a Teams call, that kind of stuff, right? So that's come in handy. I do, I do use it a lot. I'm, you know, it's probably not, you know, it's not like the trackpad, you know, in terms of its super functionality, right? So if I didn't have it, I don't think it would kill me, right? But the ports do, the ports do bug me because, um, I don't know if I showed you a picture, but my dog knocked my Mac off my, off my, uh, my table in front of the couch mm-hmm. and, uh, or was it the, maybe it was the Roomba actually that knocked it off because, and because it didn't have Mac safe, it just fell onto the, onto the cable. Um, and it, the, the cable's all twisted now, right? So like the, the tip of it's kind of bent. So I ended up buying a, like a MagSafe knockoff from Amazon for like 20 bucks. And I've been using that ever since, right? And, um, this is a MagSafe to USB-C converter. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's yeah. not, not MagSafe, but it's similar, same idea. Right, it's got that, the, you know, yeah. the, the pins that connect yeah, and yeah, whatever, yeah. right? So, um, and it's, you know, very strong magnet and that kind of stuff. It, it tends to come undone more than MagSafe did, but, uh, and I have, uh, like I said, I, as I told you guys before, I'm using all these USB docks, USB-C docks with two ports on them for, you know, various things, right? Like right now I have, my MacBook is connected to my desktop with one that goes right, under, it's, it goes right underneath the hole from side to side and it's got all the ports on the back. So I'll leave my microphone and my monitor and my, you know, my charger plugged into that one port. So it's almost like a dock. I just dock the Mac essentially, right? But I'm docking it off to two USBs on the side. And then I'm, when I'm sitting at my, at my uh, you know, then I just use the, the MagSafe over on my, when I'm sitting on the couch working, right? So MagSafe coming back, I think, I think Jaime, you said on our Slack channel that MagSafe coming back was a good thing too, right? Yeah, I, I never understood why going to USB-C necessitated the removal of MagSafe. I think it's still a useful idea of like, I would like to not have my multi-thousand dollar device be thrown off the table by kids, by pets, by me, right? I mean, wireless future is, is great because you don't end up with wires snagging and uh, yet if you still have to have one, I think it's kind of nice that it you know, yeah. nicely breaks away. Um, For sure, it like- be, it's a cost thing though because it would have to be a separate piece, right? You couldn't plug your US, USB-C cable into your Mac anymore. You'd have to plug it into this thing right. that yeah. MagSafe connected to your computer. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure it costs more than not having yeah. MagSafe, but I'm like, yeah. well, I mean, that was true with the MagSafe as well. So why did MagSafe even exist? It, MagSafe was always more expensive than non-MagSafe. I mean, if yeah. nothing else, right, you right. Did, but it's 
giant breakaway was, part that doesn't fall apart yeah, itself. But it was it was always back then it was a standalone cable. The power cable was never the same cable that you're using to connect to some device back then. It was always just a devoted power cable, right? And so now yeah. one of one of the advantages, one of the selling points of USB C is that the power comes over the same cable that you can connect to some other device if you choose. So you can use the same port as a power port or as a peripheral port. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, charging right. is a big deal. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I mean I get I get why Apple did it. I I love MagSafe too, but I get why Apple mm-hmm. did it because because all of a sudden one of your ports has to be your power port once you start using MagSafe, unless you have this extra piece. Yeah, five ports. ports basically, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Or three ports if you're if Yeah. You so it's e- it's either a devoted port or a dongle. <laughs> if you yeah. want to use it with USB C. Yeah. Yeah. Well I think that's that's the thing is like they're they're the fi- the fiction here is that they'll get rid of the dongle. But the other thing too about this new design that this leaked design is is that it's flat like a like a, an iPad. Like it doesn't have the curved bottom like the Mac Pros have now. Um very rem- reminiscent of remember the Titanium Mac it had a it was very flat um and squared off sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh that's what this one looks like too. But it but if depending on how thin you go uh in terms of height, you can't get an Ethernet port in there, right? So I don't know if well, I, you know when's the last time a MacBook Pro had an Ethernet port? Uh I have one on one mine right now because I'm using a dongle, right? So Oh because you have a dongle, but I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and it's funny because they got so thin at one point. I have a friend of mine who has a he had a, a MacBook Pro like a twenty thirteen or something like that which had been abused and it was all twisted around the Ethernet port, like because I guess that part of the because they you know milled away so much of the aluminum that it became a weak spot, right? Um, I mean, so that's that's it. I mean, the, the thickest port I think we would get these days would be an HDMI port, right? Um, in terms of uh, in terms of what you would want to plug into it, right? And MagSafe probably takes up a bit of space too in terms of height and width and magnet, and you have to have a magnet in there obviously to hold it in place, right? Yeah. So interesting to see on that. Um, the next sort of rumor is um, the new iMac, basically with with uh, uh, thinner, slimmer, whatever. Um, and of course, we're looking forward to the the um, the MacBook Pros. Uh, sorry, an iMac with with the sil- Apple Silicon as well as the uh, the desktops, right? I mean, sorry, the laptops going to have that. And there's also a rumor that they're coming out with a smaller Pro model, like a MacBook Mac Mac Pro model, more square, similar to um, I guess less expandable than the current one, but a smaller Mac Pro model, similar to what they had with the Apple Cube. That'd be pretty nice. It, it seems like it'd be plausible given how much more efficient Apple Silicon seems to be, and it doesn't seem to need quite as much you know fan space. So yes, you would give up expandability. I mean, it's a physically smaller uh, here in this mock-up of like how much smaller it would be. True, but not everybody needs the not everybody needs the the large case with the wheels to race around the office anymore, right? You kind of right. want to put it on a bookshelf with the wheels. <laughs> I wouldn't advise the wheels, but you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. Yeah, the bookshelf. Yeah, and of course, there's also talk of a new um, like pl- a pro display to replace the uh, the Thunderbolt. I think Mark, you still have a Thunderbolt. I still have that Thunderbolt. That's that's yeah. my main interest in MagSafe actually, because the Thunderbolt mm. display has coming out hard hardwired so you can't replace the cable it has a magsafe cable and a uh what is it uh well it's a, it's a thunderbolt display display cable yeah. uh so if if and when i finally go to my usb-c only 
computer because I'm still using my good old 2013 one right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, then I can I have an adapter actually that'll go from the Display port to the USB C port. That's fine, but but I won't be able to use the MagSafe cable coming off the monitor. I'll have to because there's nowhere to plug it into right. the, uh, the computer unless I buy a MagSafe to USB C converter, uh, or I just plug it directly into the wall. Well, the company I work for they sent over a Dell uh, monitor for us working at home, and it has a USB and it charges the Mac from the USB, right? Mm-hmm. Which is nice. But I'm I'm actually staring right now at a I'm I'm looking at an, uh, the old what they call used to call L LCD cinema display, which is the one before the Thunderbolt, mm-hmm. and I have the same... I have a MagSafe 1 adapter on mine. Mm. So I have the little, you know, little $9 adapter to make it into a 2, and then I've got oh, a yeah, USB. Got too, yeah. <laughs> I have a MagSafe to USB adapter on the back that I got from Amazon at the beginning of this pandemic, mm-hmm. and that plugs into a USB-C port. So I have the best of both on, on my desktop Mac. I have both of those, right? And, and the last little rumor here on this article is about Apple testing. And we talked about... Mark, you talked about this initially, uh, is the Touch ID that runs through the LCD display, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So they're apparently testing that one. That's that's from Mark Herman, as well as foldable phones. I don't know about foldable phones. I mean, has anybody seen these things in the wild? I know that they're Amazon, or so the Android platform has them already, right? Samsung's got a folding phone, I believe. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm suspicious about the, the integrity of the display opening and closing all the time. Yeah. You know, delaminating and whatever else it can do. Yeah, I have my doubts on the current technology that's out there. Granted, it has gotten better since the first disastrous uh, Samsung Fold or whatever they uh, they called it. Uh, I, I think reliability has gotten better, so that's good. I at least haven't seen any news articles around like, oh no, it like completely fell apart. Um, or or so the Samsung it. one was disastrous. Yeah, the very first one that was the one that had a, a couple different things. One was that the um, the hinge mechanism would allow grains of, of dust to get in there. Oh, and eventually right, just yeah. caused damage. So some mm. some folks had it you know need to get replaced during the review period and then secondarily they had some sort of film on the top of the screen that looked right. like oh this is a screen protector thing that i need to peel off while i'm unboxing this thing it's like no actually you're damaging it it's there for other reasons but for uh, poor human factors design there wasn't any sort of indication of hey dummy do not take this off right which is sort of what you need uh, but I, I don't think i've seen anything like that in the more recent generations and, and you're right um besides samsung there's like lg or somebody else hdc or somebody else has a uh, foldable phone so mm-hmm. I, I think the mechanisms that are currently out there are kind of have my doubts uh, about them. I do not believe that foldable phones as a concept is a bad idea. I just, I'm not sure if the current technology is there to make it sort of what you'd want of, I have something that is roughly the size of an iPhone in my pocket. And when I need it to be, it can be roughly the size of like an iPad mini almost, right? Like (laughs) I want a tablet that folds out of it, right? I need more real estate. Like in the best hypothetical one, if you didn't have like holographic technology, you would want an Apple Watch sized device that can then fold out to phone, that can then fold out to iPad, right? And then fold out to like an 80 inch TV so you watch it on the wall, put it on the wall, right? Yeah, we're, we're back to like, you know, oh, Pico, Roman Pico era projectors. scrolls. That was a thing. That was a yeah, thing. Pico projectors. People yeah. thought that was going to be. My sister just got one for Christmas. Pico yeah. projectors in a phone? Oh, right. Yeah, I don't know about a phone, but yeah, my sister just got like a really small device. I forget what it's called, but like a cube or something like that. And, and you project your TV up onto the wall or whatever. Oh, yeah. No, this was 
oh, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 10, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. This was supposedly going to be, you know, the next big thing. Every phone was going to have one, just like every phone is a camera. Every phone's going to have a Pico projector, which is this super high powered projector built into your phone. So you could project your display, your phone display on the wall. Or, yeah. When you're giving a talk or whatever, you could just yeah, po- po- play yeah. it off your phone, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw one in real life. Right. Right. But it made right. for a good marketing story. Yeah. I mean, there's a few other stories on this, this post. I'll, I'll leave it to the audience to sort of paw through them, but it's exercise for the reader. Yeah. Lots of, lots of interesting, a stack of rumors. Like we haven't had this many rumors all come out at the same time before, but uh, I personally am waiting for like a, a, a new, um, I want to get an M1, but I'm, or a Silicon Mac, but I'm waiting for, uh, we need to see what happens with uh, the, 14, the laptops. 16. Right? So I, I ordered one of the, uh, the Mac minis, the M1 Mac minis. Like I said, it was. Oh, did you? Okay. Yep. Hasn't come yet, but I ordered one. Oh, what's the wait time like? Uh, it's, it's supposed to ship within a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so my, cool. my plan here, I think I talked about this already, but my plan is that, so I've got this 2013 that I mentioned just a little while ago that is really kind of on its last, yeah. last legs. Uh, yeah. so I figure I'll get a, an M1 Mac mini, uh, and use that as a stopgap until the 16 inch or right. Pro comes out. Right. And then I'll yeah. have the, the, the Mac mini as a server after that. So kind of gets me over the, you know, the next year or so the gap yeah. until I, until the new machines come out. So do you still sort of work at your dining room table like you were doing when I was there? Yeah, sometimes or, or in the, in the living room, wherever. Yeah. yeah. So, you, so you do, you do use your laptop as a sit on the couch and work. Yeah. Well, right? so the, the dining room table is kind of turned into the, uh, the, the office, you know, the, the, yeah. the day job. So I have my yeah. day job computer over there now. Yeah. And I have the yeah. laptop over in the, in the living room, just on the, yeah, I do the, the same thing. Table. I have a, yeah. I have a proper desk that I'm sitting at right now, which with my day job computer in front of me. Yep. And then my, my evening work computer is the one that I, I do yep. right now. I'm recording the podcast on my evening one right now, but mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Yep. All right. Yep. Um, I actually, I don't know if I was mentioned, but I had a chance to play with an M1, um, at the, at work and I was trying to get our app to build, but of course I was running into problems installing bundler. So, uh, cause I think the bundler version we use is different than the one that Apple ships on, on Catalyst and Big Sur. But yeah, it's just, I only had a few hours to play with it before they have to send it off for testing. But, uh, yeah, so I was kind of stumped by that, but I did, I did run some build times on it and, and, um, you know, the time, the, the comparison app I was building was building in seconds. So it was really hard to sort of get a real gauge of how much quicker Xcode was, but mm-hmm. it definitely was quicker at doing builds. You should see if you can find, uh, the source code for that Uber app. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have some old Objective-C apps. I kind of was yeah. sort of toying with like just grabbing one of my old apps and throwing it on there and see what it does with those. Right. But yeah, yeah cause those, I, those I'm, I'm familiar with the build times, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So well, let's move, speaking of M1s, let's move over to our picks and what do you got for us, Mark? So this is something that, you know, maybe most people won't care too much about, but a few people will care a lot about. And that is that there's a company called Corellium, which you might've heard of because Apple actually had a lawsuit against them a little while back. Uh, but uh, that's, that's not uh, relevant to this. They've come up with a build of Linux that, that mm. runs on the M1 and they've got nice. a GitHub uh, project that you can download and, and install on your machine if you choose to. And apparently it's, so it's a, it's a, uh, a fork of a Ubuntu uh, distribution mm-hmm. and they claim it's complete, quote, completely usable on Apple Silicon machines. So if you feel nice. like, uh, you know, wiping your, your <laughs> OS 10 <laughs> off your brand new M1 or, or maybe you just partition the disk or something, uh, you can, you can try installing Linux and see how it goes. Yeah. If you do, we're, we're curious to hear about performance because it's probably pretty blazingly fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I knew that they were a couple different, um, independent initiatives to try to get things working. I didn't realize that one had, 
had uh, had been successful. This just came out today, this article. Oh, wow. Yep, 12 hours ago, actually. Fresh I'm actually press. surprised that you guys didn't see it before me because they announced it over Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yep. We were busy watching another event today, Mark. Yeah. On January 20th, for those of you driving I was watching home. that, too. Yeah. Um, interesting the link that's on this page. We talked about this on our Slack channel, but uh, for those of you in the United States of America, uh, apparently there's a deal through App Insider um, on M1 MacBook Airs. If you're interested in that, you can get up to, it says here on the tin, it says up to $150 off. And so there's a link uh, link here to a bunch of uh, places that are selling off uh, MacBook Airs. Does that mean that is they're... Is it Airs or Pros? I thought it was the 13-inch Pros. Well, this is this one says Mac, M1 MacBook Air promo code savings. Oh, was it okay. Pros the other day? Yeah, yeah the so... one I saw the other day was on the Pro, and I figured that was because yeah. probably they're not selling that well, was, was my guess, the, yeah. the you know, Mac Pros. Because remember, we had the discussion, you know, why would you buy this 13-inch MacBook Pro? You know, you might as well buy the MacBook Air or wait for the 16-inch. Yeah. But who knows? Well, so if, yeah, if they're discounting the MacBook Airs, then it's probably just, you know, maybe it's overstock from the holidays or maybe mm. Apple really is about to come up with a Well, that's a that's usually one. what I yeah. I think that usually when I see that. Oh, there are there are some uh, the 13s here on this page, too, that are, that are on uh, discounty sort of prices, right? So like through places like Adorama, Expercom, Amazon, B&H, Best Buy, Tiger Direct, and that kind of stuff. So not in Canada, unfortunately, but yeah, interesting stuff. I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. And back to the notes. I mean, what do you got for us? Going along the same theme, uh, this is an article on tips and tricks to set up your Apple M1 for development. To be really clear, this isn't for like iOS development per se. Uh, instead, it covers um, something I hadn't even considered, which is setting up another terminal, like basically duplicating the terminal app and saying, hey, this one, call this one Rosetta Terminal and run that using Rosetta. You may say, well, why would you do that? It's like, well, as we currently sit here, not everything is ready to run uh, from like, you know, homebrew as an example is a really common way to get uh, developer tools. Um, not everything's ready to run natively in Apple Silicon, but you can make your life a little easier by having a terminal that could do Rosetta. And, and I didn't even think about like, oh, you could do this sort of stuff. Like just say, open this thing with Rosetta and uh, it goes through installing um, uh, NPM and NVM to uh, basically manage Node.js. Um, covers some other things like making sure that you get the right version of Chrome, uh, Google Chrome that you want on your Mac if you're somebody who prefers Chrome, such as me. Or uh, although there is no official support yet from uh, VS Code or Visual Studio Code, there are um, betas out there that will let you run natively on Apple Silicon. So it's getting there, right? This is the the awkward transition period that um, I'm sure you you guys went through going from PowerPC to Intel. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll take a couple years, right? What I, what I understand is why or how can you make a Rosetta specific terminal? So the way, like, I, and I don't. <laughs> this is one of the those hypothetical picks, right? Because I don't have a, an Apple M1 to try this myself. As I understand, he goes into the utilities, says duplicate this uh, yeah. this app. So now he has another app that rather than opening up the terminal and then the terminal by default uses uh, Apple Silicon as its architecture. He says, hey, right. let me just change this app uh, using the finder and he'll check the little box that says open using Rosetta. Oh, right. And okay, then it'll so open using Rosetta. And he even has a little, you know, if you wanted to confirm, it is in fact 
back using Rosetta, just enter the um, right the the arc or arch. I don't know how that would be pronounced given that it is architecture, yeah. but reads as arch to me, and it returns I three eighty six because it's being run under Rosetta. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I, I didn't realize I was a get info pain here. I'd not seen that before, so that makes sense. Okay, I, I get it now. Yeah. 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 So you could have regular terminal, or if you're like, oh man, I need to run this homebrew thing, but it's not available or hasn't been updated for Rosetta uh, for uh, Apple Silicon. Cool. Let me just jump into the Rosetta terminal and uh, and run that, which is is pretty neat. I, I think that helps bridge a lot of the gap that people are mm. are having with like, mm, I need a lot of homebrew stuff. Yeah, I wonder if that messes with your your uh, your shell though, right? Like your your shell history. Well, that's uh, why you make a copy of it. But would it use a different would it use a different history file though? Presumably, right? doesn't terminal? I have no idea. It terminal uses the the dot z z z shell or dot bash if you're if you upgraded from um, um what's it called mm. Mojave? Yeah, no, yeah, like, you're probably right. Yeah, because it uses the one in your home directory. Yeah, because I tend to I tend yeah. to use my history a lot, right? Yeah. Like I just yeah, go I history, run that command again, and like, yeah. uh oh, this one won't run. And oh yeah, I forgot to open the wrong terminal, right? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good Unless, point, actually. Well, probably I wonder not if it would have a diff- would have a, I wonder if it would have a different set of preferences. Maybe you could change the. Yeah, I don't know. Your mileage may vary, folks. <laughs> I mean, no, neither endorses nor whatever is this uh, this pick. Yeah, I always feel bad about the hypothetical picks. I, I generally prefer to have tried something, and I literally cannot because I do not have an Apple M1. All right. Well, when mine shows up, I will let you know. I'll give it a try. All right. So, Mark, uh, Jaime's been on a, a sort of a KFC bent for uh, the last little while on Spotcast. We had a couple of uh, picks about uh, the uh, was it the um, the Colonel starring um, Mario Lopez, right? Yeah. So the your, the cousin, sort, your cousin from another mother. The, the sort of meta <laughs> thing, and this this it was fifty fifty. It could have been Spockcast material. It could have been MTJC material. Um, given that we were recording tonight, I said, all right, let's get it on the, the one that's coming up the soonest. So the meta thing is that the marketing department at KFC is absolutely bonkers. So you're talking about the, um, the lifetime movie special starring Mario Lopez about Colonel Sanders that, uh, that came out maybe like a month ago. That's one yeah. thing. Uh, there was also the KF console or KFC console. I don't know how it's pronounced. That is a video game console that KFC is coming out with that also has a little warming tray to heat to use all that uh, that lovely processor heat to keep your chicken nice and warm so so let that sink in for a little bit as i bring up nice. the yeah the article here around i'm just going to read the 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 title here because it, it it does a really good job KFC mascot Colonel Sanders talks Malbouge programming on General Hospital. Wait, <laughs> what? And apparently this is legit. So there was an episode of General Hospital, which is a uh, a soap opera for uh, a drama for those of you who may not be familiar that had a segment where, as far as I can tell, one of the characters is like a reporter or something and, and is somehow dealing with hackers in some way. And her friend is like, guess what? I happen to know <laughs> Colonel Harlan Sanders. And uh, here he is at the door to talk about how he has used uh, the Malboge programming language related to encryption to protect his secret recipe for KFC <laughs> from 
malicious hackers. <laughs> and of course they talk about how good the, the chicken is and et cetera. So it is marketing, but it is, it is in, in universe, one of the most insane things I've ever seen. And it seems yeah. like such a weird way to bring in, uh, you know, advertising into a show that it just blows my mind that somebody not only had this idea, but was able to convince, you know, the bosses somewhere of like, Hey, we, we want to talk to general hospital about this idea. And people on the other side also, approved of this idea probably with big bags of cash but somebody said you know what canonically colonel sanders exists in the general hospital yeah, universe this I, I watched these clips too it was it was the most bizarre thing i've ever seen because yes they they're acting like he's a real person and he actually shows up he is a real person <laughs> it was yeah, crazy. Like, like he was but no longer is you know <laughs> the, fou- the founder no, I mean, has, has yeah, died some yeah. time ago he is right, not right, like right, right. this sprightly youngerish man who <laughs> was hanging around doing Malboge programming language for encrypting. Wait, is his... Malboge programming a legit thing? I believe it is. I've, I'm, I was not oh. familiar uh, with yeah. it, but apparently it is something that that actually I, exists I, in the. I've not seen it on the Stack Overflow. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's not one of these. <laughs> it's not one of these languages that anyone actually really uses, as far as I know. I mean, it's well, somebody does use it, right? But it's one of these like super esoteric, crazy language that essentially it. it it encrypts itself as it's running or something or like, oh, wow. or not itself, obviously, but it encrypts all the data like instantly. Anything it deals with, it, it encrypts. So it's like super, super secure and used for very, very high security things. Uh, nice. That's that's about all I know about it. The one line that sort of gets at the point of it from Wikipedia is Malboge is a public domain esoteric programming language invented by Ben Olmsted in 1998, named after the eighth circle of hell in Dante's Inferno. No, Malboge, <laughs> which is kind of what I expected. I did not. I'm not as familiar with Dante's Inferno beyond just passing familiarity, but I am familiar with Malbosia, who is the main villain in the Spawn universe from the. Comic oh, really? Books. Okay, so it all comes around to the Spock. It, it, right? it, it was very much a crossover kind of pick here, and I highly recommend people checking out the link and watching the uh, the YouTube right. clips from the show. It is insane, right? Well, for those and of the you acting don't, don't. was horrible. No offense to the actors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the acting was in the hospital. Hello. Yeah. 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 They're, they're cranking episodes yeah. out every day, 365, no matter what. Yeah. Right? I so. had no idea General Hospital still existed. I, I haven't heard of it mm. since the Luke and Laura days. Yes, Luke and Laura. Luke and Laura. Yeah. Probably before you were born, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I'm vaguely familiar because yeah. yeah. General Hospital. Yeah. General Hospital was one of the soap operas that my mom you, at least used to watch, along with all my yeah. children before that ended. Yeah. So I, I need to ask yeah. her about like, hey, maybe one I should life send to live. Don't forget one life to live. As Did Colonel Sanders turns. ever come out in an episode you watched? As the world turns, yeah. <laughs> the Young and the Restless too. I remember when The Young and the Restless started. That's how bad this is. My sisters used to watch those shows. It used to drive me crazy. Alright, my two picks here. But, oh yeah, I should say before we go that um, I apologize for people you know who uh, don't listen to this podcast and had to sit through that pick. Um, <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Uh, so I, I've got a couple of picks here. The one one's uh, got some time left on it, and one is super duper fresh, but uh, and and it's about to expire. So by the time you're listening to the show, first of all, for those of you who stuck around to listen to the whole show, thanks a lot. You're gonna get these last two picks, and uh, the next one is gonna. If you're listening on Saturday, it's the time to sign up, and it'll have to be early on Saturday. Anyway, um, my first pick is a Swift UI Jam. The folks over at uh, who run the the uh, Swift TO conference here in Toronto, uh, 
Dennis Coder TO is uh, is the meetup group that that runs this. Um, Greg and I were both Greg Heo and I were both members of that at one point, and so they're running a a, a jam, basically a hack hack hackathon kind of thing uh, from Friday, November nineteenth, to Sunday, February February twenty first. Um, you can enter as an individual, or you can team up with some people, and you can you know quickly throw together a Swift UI app working together. Um, and so there's uh, a link here in the show notes to the website where you can register for the for the jam. Um, Paul Hudson may be involved, I heard, uh, but uh, some other people as well. So yeah, check it out. Uh, there might be some speaking, there might be some conferencing. So it's sort of a get-together kind of deal for those of us who can't really go to conferences these days. Um, it's open to anybody, uh, any level uh, that can participate in this, and it's free for everybody. So that's a good one. That's uh, Swift UI Jam, February 19th at noon till Sunday, February 21st at 6 p.m., just like a sort of weekend hack. So that's the first one. Second pick I have here, um, this is the one that, that happens every month or so. I'm not sure of the frequency of it. I've seen it go by and I keep missing it. But this is the iOS Dev Happy Hour. It happens this Saturday, uh, which is, uh, what's the date on it? The 23rd. So it's the 20th as we record. Um, so yeah, if uh, you're listening to this today and you can still find a ticket, I've got a link here in the show notes to, to jump on. Uh, it's, a, it's basically a Zoom call where um, developers from around the community get online and uh, have a have a quick meetup and just sort of, you know, have a sit down and talk about things. Um, I believe they do breakout rooms and that kind of stuff as well. Uh, I've not attended before. Like I said, I keep missing it, but I managed to, to catch it this time and, and I got myself a ticket through Eventbrite. So yeah, so it, hopefully see you guys on Saturday if you're going to do this. And I think there's a gentleman that runs it uh, who, if you follow him on Twitter, uh, of course, I apologize, I don't remember his name, but um, yeah, if you follow him, he announces on the, on his Twitter feed uh, when the, the next meetup will be. So yeah, iOS Dev Happy Hour happening Saturday, January 23rd. Hope to see you there. Unfortunately, that's it's, it kind for... of a, it's kind of a funny time for those of us on the West Coast. It's that it's at 1.30 p.m. Yes, Saturday, well, Saturday afternoon for you guys. I think it's Saturday. Yeah. Well, it's late Saturday afternoon for me, right? So yeah. 4.30, I think? Yeah. 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 Oh, it's Saturday. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing on Saturday, right? <laughs> where are you? Where have you got to go on Saturday? Well, that's that's true, but pandemic. it's kind of early to have a drink. <laughs> Although, I suppose, you know, what, have I got, what else have I got to do during the exactly. pandemic? That's true. That's true. Exactly. Yep. And if we'll play already, if it's the 23rd, really... You'd want to move oh, it like a week later right. to yeah, be the thirtieth, because yeah. nobody's going to watch the any any pro football, uh, American football that is on uh, Saturday the thirtieth. Well, so you're saying that American developers won't hog all the channels on this? This one will be all European and Canadian people. They'll just have it on on uh, on mute <laughs> in the background. <laughs> if you see somebody's <laughs> eyes flicking to the left or to flick to the right, that's what they're looking at. <laughs> all right. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell, ask you guys. Did you guys see my my Mac SE thirty that I set up? Yeah. What was that? What was that? So about? yeah, so I, I stumbled across this. I, you know, I've I've seen these prototype people sell them on eBay as prototypes, right? Where like there is there was a Mac or a Newton where it, it was built with a clear case, right? Um, and they claimed it was a prototype and blah 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 back in the day. Anyway, so this company called sticker right here Mac Effects um, did a Kickstarter where they took an SE30 case and they they um, did an you know, injection molding with clear plastic, mm. right? And 
And uh, so basically, they, you just buy the case. And, and then the initial Kickstarter was just the back case, and their stretch goal was to do the front as well. So, um, and then I, I completely missed it on Kickstarter, and I just happened to see it on eBay, and I stumbled across it, and I, you know, looked at it and thought, you know, I've, I've got two SC30s here that would be really cool to do, right? And uh, and you know, the the only the only thing about it, the only caveat for me is is there's a CRT uh, tube inside, right? And you have to discharge those, or you could basically stop your heart, right? Um, so that was the only the only concern I had about uh, taking mine apart. Any anyway, so because um, you have to extract everything and put it into this new case, and uh, so I hemmed and hawed, and then I, I went back the next day to buy it, and it, it somebody had already scooped it up, right? It was like the last one or whatever. So I I did the research, I went on Kickstarter, I found the Kickstarter page, and I basically sent a message to the guy who his name is Mark, who basically um who, who put the whole program together, and I said, hey, you know, if you if you have any, if you ever put one up, you know, let me know because I'm definitely interested in buying one. He says, well, it's, and then he messaged me back saying I just listed two more, so go get them. So anyway, I ordered it. Took you know maybe a week or so to get here. Um, comes in a nice box, you know, packed in styrofoam and stuff like that, and it looks great just on its own. I think I think I posted a picture of it just as it arrived, right? And uh, yeah, so I had to just basically take my my SE30 apart and put it, you know, clean it up because I had to wipe down the dust and stuff off the inside, and then put it into this thing and make sure it ran, <laughs> you know, because it would be it would suck if I pulled it all apart and then put it back together and shorted it out or something. And um, I didn't. There's a there's an RF uh, like a foil um, base that goes in the bottom, like a, it's a folded piece of um, like um, almost like it's thicker than tinfoil, but there's a there's an RF um, shield at the bottom that I didn't put in because then you can still see the you can see the logic board, you can see the motherboard or the RAM modules and stuff like that too. Because I'm not gonna run it, right? But uh, yeah, it looks great. Like it just you know it's a real real eye candy now, right? So mm, yeah, cool. Yeah. So I have a, I have a dead SE30, but yeah, but but this this one works fine. This actually and it's funny because you know I started on a Mac 2CX, so the Mac 2CX and the Mac SE30 came out at the same time because they both have 068030 processors. So essentially they're the same computer, right? So this is like the computer I started on back in the day, although I had a, you know, CX with a big 20, 19 inch screen or whatever, right? So yeah, lots of fun. It looks really sweet, like in, in person, right? So super cool. And I, I, I always thought that, you know, I don't know if you know the, the, the on the side, on the one side of the, the left side of the Mac as you're facing it is the, um, the RF board for running the video, you know, and it's got, it's right beside the power supply and it's got a big white card on it, which tells you how to, where, where to adjust the, you know, because like you get the horizontal hole and the vertical hole and all that kind of stuff and, and other things like align the, the CRT tube. And um, I always thought of that as the ugly side. Like I, you know, really didn't care about it. Carol thought, Carol says it looks really cool because it's got the danger thing on it and, you know, and shows you the little things to adjust. I guess, you know, because I don't know if you know this back in the day, Jaime, we used to have to adjust our monitors <laughs> to get the picture to fit and stuff. Oh, the, the good old, like, slightly move this to the left, slightly move it to the right, move it up. Yeah, TV it, tubes. Yeah, one of the ways you used to fix your TV tubes is take them out and dust them off and put them back in again. And the the degauss like, button that was really yeah. neat to watch your thing just wave through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't tell you the number of times I used to go to customers to support them on their Macs with their CRT monitors, and and they would have this one monitor that would have this huge wavy pattern all the time, and it's because they were they're sitting right beside the power line coming into the into the office, right? Or they're beside the microwave oven or something like that, right? You know, yeah. So I used to worry about like Max back in those days were susceptible to all, all kinds of stuff, right? So that's where the money that I was going to spend on that uh, that um, edition watch went, Mark. <laughs> Wait, sorry, which what? Uh, it was basically the, the yeah, I could have either bought the edition watch that you know that fake edition watch from oh from the edi- oh the edition yeah 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 it was the same amount of money, right? I see, so. yeah. 
All right. Well, I guess that's it for another show. So, um, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Yeah, Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. Once again, my name is Tim Mitra, E-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC, and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Ooh, real-time follow-up. I messed up. I don't know why oh. mentally I thought that they had split the games, but both games are actually on Sunday the 24th. So there you go, Mark. It's totally free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally free time at 1.30. It's, it's 5.30 p.m. somewhere in the world, right? Time to crack open a brewski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was dev happy hour. It'd be interesting. I, like, I, I know a few of my friends have, have uh, attended it, and that's why I found out about it sort of thing. I saw them mentioning about, you know, I, I, I went to, uh, I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but Release Notes also did uh, a couple of meetups like that where they had a bunch of people get together because you know because we can't go to conferences and do the networking thing that we normally like to do right so this is your opportunity yeah i, I don't know how well networking with people you don't know works on a zoom call i have no idea but oh it's it's pretty cool i mean right. i mean i met some people that you know i wouldn't have met otherwise okay yeah. and like i said it's uh i don't know how they do this one but the the release notes one they had breakout rooms where they could they like they randomly pick six people and you go into a room and you say hey and you ask them what kind of apps they work on and what kind of work they do and mm-hmm. you know you have like 15 20 minutes to sort of have your little huddle and then you move on just like just like you would at a conference so it's kind of like speed dating they they switch you between different rooms speed dating for developers or, yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> you have to bring your own beer though <laughs> yeah there's no sponsored giveaways and no stickers to be had or whatever so yeah fun times yeah well conferences what a what a foreign concept these days huh yeah going to a place what? with a thousand other people all in one big room yeah well it's funny like on the weekends like usually on saturday sun sunday it kind of hits me middle of the day that i have to go to work right tomorrow and i keep thinking oh i have to go to work and then my my brain automatically kicks into you know get on the streetcar and go to the office and badge in and get but you don't out you and... don't do that these days though right no, no i mean okay. that's, yeah. the, that's yeah. what i'm saying but like yeah. what i'm saying is mentally my brain starts to think like when i when my brain starts to getting into the oh i gotta go to work on monday yeah deal yeah i like immediately all that baggage comes back and then i go wait a minute i'm not going anywhere <laughs> you know it's just a really sort of strange 
strange feeling, right? So yeah. But one thing I do every morning is I take my dog for a walk before I start work, so because it reminds it's sort of the same. Reminds you that there isn't outside. Well, it reminds <laughs> me that uh, like we're in there's lockdown right now. We're we're not allowed to go outside unless it's yeah. for for extreme things like exercising or walking your dog or going to the store and coming home. No, you know, no no hanging around. Yeah. Uh, where I, no loitering out in front of the the quickie mart. Yeah. No loitering in front of the quickie mart. Yeah. And and the um the uh I think the the stores are open seven a.m. to eight p.m. which is kind of a drag. You know, I'm I'm I was saying just telling somebody at work today that I'm a Sunday shopper. Like I you know I'm I like to go shopping on Sunday and and if I can go somewhere at like nine o'clock at night or ten o'clock at night, yep. that's great. I, you know, it's for yeah, me. Yeah, fewer thing. people are out at those times. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. I was yeah. doing that for most of the pandemic. Uh, past couple of weeks yeah. when things got pretty bad here and they still are pretty bad here. Uh, I I finally did start doing the Instacart or the delivery thing. Oh really? Yeah. 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 I hadn't done it for the whole pandemic, but you know, yeah. we had a we had an enormous spike in Cal. Well, California in particular had a, an enormous spike. We're now like the worst place in the U.S. now, unfortunately. Um, oh, mostly stolen Seattle's crown. Yeah. Oh, Seattle is much <laughs> much better <laughs> than here. We were, um, but, we're much smaller, so we, yeah. we we could have only possibly gotten so bad, right? Uh, I guess yeah. per capita, it might have been a, a competition, but it's it's hard when you have a. a I mean that that California is a state that is bigger than like a lot of countries. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah most, no, I, well, most countries. Yeah. <laughs> we, we like to tease on on Spotcast. We like to tease Jaime because he was ground zero for the U.S. pandemic. Yeah, right? so, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So yeah, things are horrible here where I am in in uh, Santa Clara Valley or Santa Clara County. Um, it's also Santa Clara Valley. It's also Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's things are really bad down in L.A. But they're not great here, so I'm playing it safe a little bit, not going to the supermarket. Yeah, well, it's funny because like people were a bit cavalier yeah. here, um, especially through the late summer because I yep. think our numbers were way down. I think we were down like fifty a, fifty a day kind of thing. Yeah, we're yeah. well over two thousand now, yeah. maybe close to three thousand, I think. But um, the I've noticed as I'm walking around with a dog, people are like crossing the street to avoid you, and yeah. Whereas mm. before they were kind of like you know brushing past you, sort of thing, right? So sure that is anything to do with COVID, Tim, or just haven't yet? Have you not taken a shower in nine months? <laughs> <laughs> it could be, it could be. Could be my vicious killer dog too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, I'm turning the recording back on. Wait, wait, before we did, so I looked at the range of age charts. So if you've got somebody working there, they would have to be Gen Z because it looks like Gen Z goes from 97 to 2012, which okay. would put their age at 9 to 24. So Generation Alpha okay. is the next one alpha, after that, okay. which starts around 2013. So let's see. So if they were born in 97, you said, right? Mm-hmm. They're Gen Z. But if they're born in what? 2013, they would be Alpha. Alpha. Oh, okay. So, then, so the yeah. the students impacted by uh, you know pandemic learning are going to be predominantly um, Gen Z. Well, actually, no, maybe it's like half. Well, college it students would be Gen half Z, half, but yeah. but high school might be Alpha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or elementary. Well, my, my granddaughter, yeah. who's five, would be an Alpha. What what was the beginning year you said? 2013. 2013. So yeah, eight eight I have to look at a secondary resource for this one. Let me let me throw this. Eight years old is what like second grade? Yeah, third grade okay. maybe. Uh, Third, third. I threw third, it right third, underneath third the Zoom link. Yeah, six is see. one. Yeah, six is grade one. Yeah. I was saying. So where, the little kids it, you see but... running around in your in your uh, your coworkers' backgrounds, those are alphas most likely. <laughs> if they're running around, you know, the ones who are making noise. Yeah, exactly. yeah. If they're just sitting there quietly playing, you know, Xbox or something, they're probably yeah. Gen Z. Okay, yeah. So Tim, what are, are you? You're a boomer too, not a boomer one. A boomer. You're a boomer two. Boom. I'm end of boomer. Yeah, yeah. Or, are you a boomer? 
Me no no I, I'm not saying T T O O I'm saying according to Jaime's chart there's boomers one and boomers two oh and you're a well I'm two. I'm a boomer because I'm born in sixty I think uh, yeah that would be boomers two boomers two no yeah, wow boomers now, one. now they're now they're getting granular yeah, okay? right? I've always it's, been a boomer yeah. such a boomer thing to have two distinct parts right, of generations <laughs> like a, a nine there is no such thing as a nine year generation some Gen X <laughs> two 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 nine year generations back to back oh so fifty five to 64. Yeah, so Carol's a, Carol's a Boomer 1. Wow, interesting. So now you can go make fun of her and say, hey, Boomer 1. Yeah. <laughs> or, okay, sorry, okay, Boomer 1. Yeah. Okay, Boomer 1. Okay, Boomer 1. Yeah. Well, she would be, she's pretty much Boomer 1 anyway, so <laughs> doesn't need a doesn't need a chart to tell her that. <laughs> so interesting. My my parents aren't Boomers even. They're post-war. I always thought Yeah, they were, well, they're, so they're before the 50s? My parents? Oh, yeah. My parents were born in the early 40s. Really? Wow. Yeah, my dad's 80. How old are you? How old is your dad? Holy cow! My dad's eighty. No, there, there used to be there used to be a, a, a internet commercial here in Canada where I think it was for commercial for Rogers Cable hmm. and some kid like this is like in the in the ni- mid late nineties early two thousands and I guess they were they were trying to stream something or whatever or play a game and the one kid looks at the other kid and goes How old is your dad? Because hmm. obviously the internet wasn't as good, right? Anywho, um, also oh, they're post war, so they're born in well forty five, so before nineteen forty five. My dad was born in forty. My mom was born in forty two. Wow, my my mom was born in twenty eight. Hmm. Wow, so she's post war also, but just she's barely the first of the post wars. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. interesting. Hmm. So what's it, what's yeah, before nineteen twenty two? There's nothing before nineteen twenty two. Yeah, and what's after? Why does oh. this chart start? Why does this chart end at twenty two thousand twelve? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> like, does it? Do they, they not know how to do like why date why whatever? So where did you find the alpha one? I mean, that was a different uh, resource. It was like what's after Z, and they were like three or four hits that said alpha. It, it wasn't in this chart. But you'll notice when you do the math on this chart, you're like, hmm, there's some weird funny things where normally a generation should be roughly 20 years, right? Yeah. You, you become an adult around 18, 19, 20, depending on, on what you're talking about there. But you'll notice that like, okay, so when you go from World War, end of World War II uh, generation, right? So 27 so to... 15 years or whatever? You know, 45. That looks like 15 year gaps, right? right? And then it's 18 for the combined boomers and boomer two. So only 15 for Gen X for reasons that make no sense. There was literally nothing that happened in 1980 awesome. that, would, that would, that would, that would cause that. So that's oh, why no, well, no Reagan got elected. Reagan got elected. That's what changed. I mean, it, that's, that's external factors that have nothing to do with like uh, the setup for folks. Right. I mean, it's like, Oh, well, when Reagan's elected and it's set up for like the million, I was like, well, Okay, maybe, but really, if you had made it a full 15, sorry, a full 18 to 20 years, I would still be in Gen X instead of millennial. So and then how, you would shift how all these can other dates. World War II be only five years then? And I, and it doesn't actually even make sense because... Yeah, where is World War II in this thing? At the very okay. bottom. So if you were born in 1927, you were World right, War II, yeah. you were 18 yeah. in 1945 when the war ended. So you weren't fighting in the war. You were too young for the war. So why are you the World War II generation? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's really weird. Yeah. You end up taking a look at how many years is Gen Z? They're also in a weird year. Why, why did they cut off at, uh, at uh, 2012? Yeah. 
that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Literally, again, literally nothing happened in 2012. Uh, had the world ended, you know, as as prophesized. Remember when that was the thing? They made a movie about it. Uh, had yeah. that actually happened? All right. So this, this chart is making me think that you can't trust everything you find on the internet. Really? I yeah. think this what? is correct as far as I've seen. <laughs> I, I'm taking issues with the you, the consortium or cabal of people who decide when generations should be kind of arbitrary if it's not exact. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. Slices. I think it should be 18 know. to 20 years, not, you know, well, this one's... The sad part, this is actually follow-up for our show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, well, this one generation is like three years because this big thing happens. Like, well, come on, dude. That's a, like, the, now it's like, well, like we've defined a new epoch now from uh, from this event that occurred. It's crazy. Yeah. More than just code, right? Well, well, by the way, yeah, we got, anyway. By the way, you know, the, the M- I don't know if you saw the MTJC mask I pasted on that we sent to uh, Sean. Um, Carol's going to a, a new design where you've got you know the, the cone shape that sits on the front of your your base um so we're gonna print uh, we got some white uh ink and we're gonna print uh white our logo white on black hmm. i don't know if you guys are into black masks or not but they're good for holdups as well right yeah i generally use these blue ones that i got in a package of 100 that i throw away when i'm done the paper ones yeah 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 yeah, yeah well we, we wash ours all the time so yeah. all good all righty well, i guess we'll call it a day all right you guys are like there's nothing no politics to talk about this time yeah <laughs> Go off the, we have to go off the record for, for that one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.